This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Kelly Farquhar to the program. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm very good, Bob. Thank you. How are you? I'm okay. Kelly Farquhar is Montgomery County, New York historian, also the county records management officer. Uh, the county has a, a tremendous amount of genealogical information about a large area in upstate New York at their office in Fonda, New York, the county seat. That's where uh, Kelly is. So we're talking with her uh, on the phone right next to the railroad tracks. I just mentioned that because who knows, maybe a train will go through at some point. Kelly recently led a walking tour of the village of Kanajahari to highlight various sites associated with African Americans who lived in Kanajahari during the 19th century, as well as uh, looking at uh, buildings that are connected with people who were involved in the abolitionist movement in the 19th century. How did the tour go? Uh, the tour went very well, thank you. Uh, we had probably close to 25 people, and the weather was very cooperative. Hmm. Now, we're in the north, of course, and uh, we have this vision or a misconception that slavery existed mainly in the south. Well, maybe mainly in the south is is correct, but uh, there, there certainly were slaves in upstate New York. And in fact, before there was an upstate New York, uh, is, isn't it so, uh, Kelly, that colonial leaders like Sir William Johnson and the Van Rensselaers, th- they did own slaves? Sure. Yeah, slavery um, existed here in New York, uh, probably back to at least, yeah, the 1600s. Um, and then it was abolished in New York State by legislative law, um, it by 1827. Mm-hmm. But even then, there were still slaves in upstate New York, correct? There were. Uh, every 10 years, starting in 1790, there was a federal census. And three years after New York State passed the law, the 1830 census counted 76 slaves in the state. Um, One third of that number was counted here in Montgomery County. Really? So not only were there a number of African-Americans in Montgomery County, but a number of the existing slaves in the early years of the 1800s. That's true. Why is that? I mean, let's take them one at a time. Why would more slaves be in Montgomery County than elsewhere? Um, We're not exactly sure um, why that number came up, but it's possible that, you know, for a couple of reasons, it's possible that the people, um, you know, word didn't travel as fast um, out here. So, I mean, it's possible in the the more rural areas, uh, they may not have been as aware, um, but probably a, a better reason would be that the people who had grown up in slavery perhaps still identified themselves as slaves. Hmm. So when the census enumerator came around and talked to them, they they probably counted themselves as slaves. Hmm. And let me point to another um, uh, figure that uh, you'd you'd sent over in terms of your research on this topic. In the, I I think it said 1855 census. I didn't realize the census was done in in that year. But anyhow, there were 418 black residents of Montgomery County. That sounds like a lot, but but was it a lot? I mean, p- compared to the population of the county. Um, yeah, I believe it was. You know, a, a 
decent-sized population um, at the time. Con you know, especially considering um, when you compare the numbers to today. Um, I mean, in 1855, which was the New York State census. Census, okay. Um, in Canajoharie, the village alone, there were 118. Um, you know, probably today there might be, a, you know, just a handful. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. You mean today there are fewer African Americans, you know, on a, at least, well, even not only on a percentage basis and on an actual basis than, than there Correct. were then. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, in the years leading up to the Civil War, the numbers were greater. And then after the Civil War, the numbers started to decline, possibly because the African Americans were looking toward more urban areas where there were greater job opportunities. Mm -hmm. The village of Harry in particular had African Americans. And was there any specific reason for that? Well, as I said, you know, a number of them had been descended from slaves. So there was one family in particular, um, Henry and Mary Miller, uh, their family. Henry and Mary were both slaves, and they were identified as such in their marriage records. Um, they were married in 1818, mm -hmm. and that marriage was recorded in the records of the Fort Plain Reformed Church. And Henry was identified as the slave of John Miller, and Mary was identified as a slave of Adam Garlock. And even in their, um, their two of their children had been baptized, and that was while they were still slaves. Um, when Mary, or Maria as we call her, when she passed away, her obituary identified her as having been a slave of the Garlock family. Mm. Uh, her their house was on the tour, correct? Well, it, the site of it the was site on the of it? tour. That, right. Yeah, the house is no longer there. But yes, uh, that that was on the site. And um, their daughter and her husband actually lived across the street, Peter and Eliza Skinner. Their house is still there. Oh, the, the Skinner house is still there. Correct. Okay, and well, two points. Uh, both of those houses and a couple of the others are on Cliff Street in uh, Canajee Harry. Was that in particular where blacks lived in Canajee Harry? Um, I, I want to say they were not necessarily just on Cliff Street, but that seemed to be an area where they were located. Um, you know, just down the hill, the Cliff Street overlooks the downtown area. Um, it's, it's on a terraced hill. And just below the Skinner House, were another couple of houses where some African Americans were living. Mm -hmm. And another point, uh, you, you said that uh, the, the Millers were, at least some point in their lives, were slaves. Mm -hmm. And you, you don't think of slaves having a house. I mean, did they, but they had their own house? Well, this was after they were um, uh, emancipated. Okay. Um, you know, with the 1827 law, but yes, that's correct. They they had owned property, and um, Maria, she was actually named in a deed. There was an 1856 quit claim deed where she is buying property from a, a local attorney by the name of Pythagoras Wetmore. Mm -hmm. um, she bought the land for seventy dollars. And that's where their house sat on Cliff Street. And so uh, Henry and Mary Miller 
and Peter and Eliza Miller, Skin, and then the, the name Skinner comes in as well. Do they have descendants still in Canajoharie, or maybe you don't know? Um, I don't believe there are any in Canajoharie, but I have been in contact with some descendants. Um, probably, let's see, there was there was a lady a few years ago that came from California, and she is one of their descendants. And there was a family in Schenectady. Hmm. And then there's another gentleman uh, who lives down in Georgia. So I, I, I don't know of anybody mm-hmm. locally, sure. but I do know that they are around. We're talking with Kelly Farquhar, county historian of Montgomery County, about a tour she just uh, gave and other research she's done on African-American life in Montgomery County and the abolitionist movement uh, centering on the, the village of Canajoharie. Now, Canajoharie, uh, you had on your listed on your tour uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, uh, commonly called AME Zion. I know there was an AME Zion Church in my memory in uh, Amsterdam in the Mohawk Valley. I was a little—I didn't go on the tour, and I have the brochure. I was a, a little confused. Did they actually build a church in Canajoharie, or was it just that they uh, worshipped in Canajoharie? We know that there was what they called a mission church, um, and that could have been just as far as the congregation worshiping, um, and they could have worshipped, you know, in homes. But we do know that the church was incorporated in 1857, and that was earlier than the Amsterdam church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in that same year, the trustees of the AME Zion Church purchased property from, again, Pythagoras Wetmore. And the property is actually bounded by the house where the Peter Skinner house is. So it actually sat right next to the Peter Skinner house. However, we do not know if an actual structure was put up there. Um, The deed describes the property boundaries, and it said it was purchased for the purpose of erecting a house of worship. Whether that came to be or not, we don't know. The AME Zion Church was well known in the abolition movement. Harriet Tubman belonged, for example. Correct, and as well as uh, Frederick Douglass um, and Reverend Jermaine Logan, out in Syracuse, and Thomas James, who became a minister with the AME Zion Church, he actually was a former slave, a fugitive slave, um, who was born in the town of Canajahari in the area known as Buell. Hmm. And I have uh, other specific uh, questions. I might just mention at this time that I'm uh, sort of following along with the brochure which uh, Kelly or maybe Kelly and others prepared for this tour uh, on African-American life and the abolitionist movement in Canajoharie. And do you have the brochures uh, available? We do. We have the brochures available here at our office at the Montgomery County Department of History and Archives. And what I also did, because I, I had first done this tour back in, in 2013, and I wasn't sure if I was going to ever be able to do it again, um, I took my script and I developed it into a little booklet, which we now have available, and we sell that for $2, and that's also here at the Department of History and Archives. 
We'll be back uh, with uh, Kelly Farquhar in uh, just a moment. You're listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. A word about our GoFundMe campaign, which is underway, not doing too well this year, but uh, we hope you'll see your way clear to making a donation to keep the podcast on the internet. We have a GoFundMe page, gofundme.com forward slash historians 2018. And you can go to that uh, website and they'll walk you through the steps of donating uh, using your credit card. If you'd rather not do that, just want to write out a check and make out the check to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to 125 Horseman Drive in Scotia, New York, 12302. We're talking with Kelly Farquhar about African-American life and the abolition movement in Canajoharie, New York, which is uh, both a village and a town in um, Montgomery County in upstate New York. But the the, uh, tour that Kelly recently conducted took place in the village of Canajoharie. And let me skip over a couple of the other specific homes, uh, which I think deal with the same family we've been talking about. Well, what the heck? Let me ask you about them. Uh, You, on the tour, on Cliff Street and then at Wheeler and Otsego Streets, you had first the uh, either the home or the site of Charles Walter and Francis Skinner Denning, and, and who were who were they? Uh, Francis Skinner was the daughter of Peter and Eliza Skinner, and she married Walter Charles Walter Denning, who was a Mason, and he came to the area uh, from Western New York with the intention of working on the Wagner Hotel when that was constructed. And um, they were married. Uh, Denning also had served locally um, in the Civil War. Um, And then he had been descended from, I believe his father had been a fugitive slave as well. Um, But he was also a well-known abolitionist out in Corning. And you mentioned uh, that he was a Mason, and that was a, I mean, what, a common profession, I think, in Kanjahari. You have a lot of stone there. A lot of the houses are made of stone. That's correct. Yes. Um, he probably utilized locally quarried stone. Yeah. And another um, home, uh, Philip Phillips, the same, yes, same name as the singer a few years ago, at uh-huh. the corner of Wheeler and Otsego Street. Who was Philip Phillips? Philip Phillips was a man who worked for the Van Alstyne family uh, for a number of years, and he he, he was probably a slave as well. Um, when he was in his 20s, he married uh, Eunice Van Horn, and they went to the Reformed Church in Canajahari. Um, as, of, as a servant, I'll say a servant, of the Van Alstyne family, the, the family must have thought very well of Philip because they decided to leave him some support when they passed away. So Nicholas Van Alstyne, he was identified as having brought up Philip. And when he died in 1849, he left to Philip $100, two horses, two wagons, two sleighs, farming tools, bed and bedding, and a black cloth for a morning suit hmm. 
before Philip. And then Nicholas's brother, Abraham, he also left money to Philip's daughter, Elizabeth, or Lizzie, um, to support her until she reached the age of 21. But what stood out for me is that he bequeathed slaves to a man who had been enslaved at some point in his life. Slaves. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you said slaves. Okay. Yeah, no, no. All right. Okay, very very good. Sorry for that. Okay, in addition, and we'll get back to the more uh, African-American individuals, your tour and your interest in Canada Harry also has to do with what, in the sense, the white people were doing. Uh, And that Canada Harry, I don't know, would you say, uh, was uh, a center for the abolitionist movement? Um, I don't know if it would be called a center, but it certainly was. The residents were certainly actively involved. Um, They had at the Methodist Church a speech that was given by Henry Walton Bibb. He was a former slave who had escaped um, to freedom on the Underground Railroad. And he left his wife and children. um, And Susan B. Anthony talked about that in letters that she had written home. She talked about how the attendees to Henry Walton Bibb's uh, presentation were impressed by him, um, and they certainly were also um, they they were progressive in the fact that they you know they had signed anti-slavery petitions, they um, attended anti-slavery meetings, you know. Uh, um, resistance to the slavery movement was not exclusively Underground Railroad work, mm-hmm. um, meaning that they didn't necessarily have to fu- uh, shelter fugitive slaves, but just by attending anti-slavery meetings, signing these petitions, and sending them to, them to Congress calling for an end to slavery was certainly all part of the movement. Um, so in 1850, there were actually a number of petitions that were sent to Congress, and Kanajahari residents were among them. Um, they, Montgomery County residents sent at least six petitions to Congress, mm-hmm. and there was a, a period of at least 20 years that anti-slavery groups were sending out uh, petitions asking for people to sign them. And all of the petitions called for abolition of the slave trade and slavery, not only in the District of Columbia, but in other territory, ter- uh, excuse me, other territories that were seeking statehood. Mm-hmm. Um, so in one year, from 1837 to 1838, Congress actually received over 100,000 petitions hmm. calling that. for an end to slavery. And as I said, um, six of those petitions came from Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. And in 1850, 22 Kanajahari residents signed the petition, and those residents included, um, you know, a, a postmaster, um, a doctor, uh, a bank president, a teacher, um, and, and one of the signers. His name was Charles H. Brown. Um, he was allegedly a black man himself. So. Huh. Um, you know, I mean, they they came from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. Now, another uh, building I believe that you made part of the tour is the Kanjahari Academy on Otsego Mm -hmm. Street. And in connection with this story that you're telling, um, 
Susan B. Anthony taught there, right? She did. She taught at the the academy. Um, she actually came to Canajahari in 1846 when her uncle Joshua Reed was able to get the appointment for her. And she she actually, she, her family were abolitionists and they were Quakers. And I talk about that on the tour that her attitudes towards slavery were actually a direct contrast to her uncle's um, attitudes because he himself had been a slave owner. We actually have a, a record here in our department of um, Joshua Reed purchasing a woman and her son. Um, she was a slave woman named Bet, and he purchased them from Henry Fry in 1819. And she also sent letters home talking about he believed that the North had no business interfering in the South system of slavery. Mm-hmm. So it must have made for interesting conversation at dinner. Yeah, I, I believe it probably <laughs> yeah. did. Yeah. Now, and also, this is off topic, but what's the, happening with the Kanajahari Academy now? It was, uh, for a long time, a public school, right? And uh, then... Yes, it, that, that actual building was the third structure on the site. So that's not the actual building that Susan B. Anthony taught in. Oh, okay. Um, the structure that's there was built in 1892, and it was designed by a well-known architect up in upstate New York. His name was Archimedes Russell. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, it, ha- it has been vacant um, since it was sold by the school district. And now the Mohawk Valley Collective... Um, they are undertaking some preservation efforts. Uh, also in connection with uh, the abolition movement, you had on the tour um, a, a, the Reformed Church, United Methodist Church, which both of them had had some African-American members in the 1800s? That's, that's correct. Um, I went through the church records for those churches, and you know, I pointed out that with the Reformed Church, Philip Phillips, was uh, a member there. He was also a sexton um, Mm -hmm. taking care of the church. But the United Methodist Church in the 1840s had quite a few baptisms and marriages for the members of the African-American community in Canajahari. When I I was on the tour, I pointed out that, you know, in the South, that was very frowned upon. You know, having slaves you know, either marry or having their children baptized was not something that was that was done. Up here, uh, I think that was one of the differences that mm-hmm. we can see. Um, you know, even as slaves, the the families up here were allowing their, their slaves to have their children baptized or to marry. And then certainly by the 1840s, that continued. So um, we, we see the trend that, you know, religion was very central to their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I want to get at two things uh, in the next uh, our closing five minutes here. Mm-hmm. We haven't yet uh, talked about Chester Bromley Hoke and his uh, wife and family. They lived on Mohawk Street. Their house still there, correct? Correct. And, yes. and tell us a bit, a bit about Bromley Hoke. Bromley Hoke, he was descended from Henry and Maria Miller. Actually, he was their grandson, and they raised him because their daughter, which would 
Nancy Hoke. Um, she was Bromley's mother. She died when he was only two, yeah, two years old. Um, he was the youngest of four children. So he was raised by his grandparents. And he went on at the age of 15 to actually serve in the Civil War. He enlisted in the 54th Massachusetts Regiment, which was one of the first black regiments in the nation. Um, the 54th was led by white commanding officers, and it was primarily made up of free blacks or fugitive slaves. And you can get an idea of the struggles that the 54th Massachusetts Regiment endured when you watch the movie Glory, because that, mm -hmm. that's what the movie's about. Um, but Bromley Hoke, he signed up, and as soon as he signed up, it was only three months later that he participated in the attack on Fort Wagner, where that regiment lost um, approximately 40% of their numbers. Mm. Um, so he came back to Canajoharie, and he worked as a porter in local hotels, mm -hmm. and he was well-known as a great baseball player. Um, then he also courted a local girl by the name of Elizabeth or Lizzie Phillips, which I had mentioned her before. She worked for the Arkell family. And in 1893, they married, and then they raised their family of three sons, um, with the house is still there down on Mohawk Street in Canajoharie. And Bromley died in 1913, and he is buried up in the Canajoharie Falls Cemetery hmm. along with his wife. Okay. The other point I wanted to ask you about, I mean, especially in connection with the abolitionist movement, a uh, number of, of whites in Montgomery County calling for the that slavery not be expanded and so forth. But along with that, there there was there's racism in Montgomery County. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, there there was. Um, we see evidence of that. Actually, Eleanor Franz, who put together a booklet about Dollsville, about the Underground Railroad in Dollsville, she had written about John Jacobs, who was the brother of Harriet Jacobs. And she talked about his tour of through the Mohawk Valley, giving anti-slavery lectures. And in one of his letters to Zenas Brockett, who lived um, in Brockett's Bridge, or today as we know as Dallasville, um, Jacobs talked about how he stayed at a place in Fort Plain, and he went in for the dinner bell along with everybody else, and the inn's owner, she, she questioned him, and she said that, uh, you know, you don't belong eating with the white folk. We're not abolitionists here. Hmm. Well, Kelly Farquhar, a pleasure talking to you as always. And this uh, information, you have the brochures at the mm -hmm. uh, County Archives office. Uh, you and a, a professor, I believe, from uh, one of the state colleges, you wrote a, a book, did you not, about the Underground Railroad? Yeah, back in 2010, we had a Preservation League of New York State grant that allowed me to... Um, get the assistance of Judith Wellman, who was a professor emeritus um, at SUNY Oswego. And she's a, a very well-known expert on Underground Railroad, um, African-American um, research, and women's suffrage. And she basically led me through, you know, the different sources I needed to research. Mm -hmm. And um, with her help, we put together a 
a report based on our survey that we had completed. So, yeah. Well, we are just about out of time. Uh, This information could be accessed uh, from the Montgomery County uh, Department of History and uh, Records Management at the old courthouse in Fonda. Phone number there is 518-853-8186. Do you have an easy website or no? Uh, The easiest way is just to go to the county website. It's www.co.montgomery.ny.us. And click on the link for History and Genealogy, and that'll take you right to our webpage. This has been the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.